Security Ledger podcast reach an audience of thousands of information technology and information security professionals. If that's an audience that you'd like to reach, think about becoming a Security Ledger podcast sponsor. To find out more about sponsoring our podcast, point your web browser to securityledger.com slash sales. Hello and welcome to the Security Ledger Podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this episode of the podcast, episode 166. In order for AI to really be successful, you have to trust what it's saying. And in order to trust what it's saying, you have to understand why it thinks it's saying that. At some point in the last decade, artificial intelligence crossed an invisible and unnamed border that separates cool future technology from technology that's so ubiquitous we don't even notice it. Today, if you have a smartphone and use it, it's likely that AI and machine learning is influencing everything from your travel to the office in the morning to your choice of restaurants after work and possibly even your companion at that restaurant. In sectors like healthcare, Machine learning and artificial intelligence are flagging tumors and other irregularities in x-rays and MRIs. In industry like finance, banking, and credit, artificial intelligence and machine learning are shaping lending and investment decisions and, of course, being used to spot illegal or suspicious behavior before it becomes costly. The value of all this is huge. According to Gartner, the business value created by artificial intelligence will reach $3.9 trillion by the year 2022. That's trillion with a T. With critical life and business-sustaining decisions riding on an algorithm, the need to understand not just what the artificial intelligence system decided, but why it decided the way it did, has become paramount. Designed or applied improperly, artificial intelligence risks recreating the biases of its authors and then dressing them up as bloodless objectivism. As McKinsey has noted, artificial intelligence can reduce bias, but it can also bake it in and scale it. Our guest this week is an expert on making AI explainable. Jay Budzik is a chief technology officer at Zest AI, a 10-year-old firm that makes artificial intelligence software for the credit industry. His company is a pioneer in the area of explainable AI. And in this conversation, Jay and I talk about what that means and also about how AI and machine learning technologies are being applied to one particularly thorny problem, spotting synthetic identity fraud. I'm Jay Budzik, uh, CTO here at uh, Zest AI. Zest has been around now for about 10 years, focusing on developing tools to help lenders and other financial services companies leverage AI safely uh, in their lending business uh, by providing explanations that describe why a consumer was approved or denied. And it, it, it turns out that there are many applications for which explainable AI is useful. Uh, IT managers want to understand why they got an alert that says that a server is uh, about to fall over. A doctor wants to understand why the AI system thinks that this image has a cancerous tumor in it. A a robo-judge might offer an explanation for why they want to sentence a prisoner in a particular way, to use an extreme example. And so the applications of explainable AI are are broad. We're still keeping our focus on financial services, obviously, but this opens up the ability for us to work in other areas. You said explainable AI. Um, 
I'm guessing our audience is pretty technical, but there might be some people out there who feel like explainable AI is almost like a oxymoron, right? <laughs> um, it's, sure. it's, also, it's also sophisticated that it kind of defies explanation. But talk about what you mean by explainable AI and you know, at its root, uh, what we're talking about when we're trying to work back from a decision that might come out of an algorithm to the cause or the reasoning behind that decision. And that's a really good way of, uh, of putting it, actually. You want to understand the machine decided a particular outcome. And typically, these uh, predictive algorithms, they work based on a series of inputs. So in credit decisioning or in lending, you might have uh, facts about the consumer's financial history, like uh, the number of loans that they've successfully repaid, how big those loans were, were they ever late making a payment, have they had uh, delinquencies in the past, uh, did they go bankrupt, etc. Those factors all contribute to a prediction about their ability to repay or their ability to uh, be a good borrower for a lender. What's unclear is how the AI model or the machine learning model, in, in our case, sometimes made that decision, right? So these advanced techniques like neural networks and gradient-boosted decision trees and radio basis function models, there's all these models that use advanced mathematics and are able to consider combinations of inputs and use those combinations to arrive at a more accurate prediction about an outcome. Uh, but by virtue of them uh, being more complicated and having more nuance, they're also more difficult to understand. So in a traditional uh, statistical modeling approach, you could actually print out the model equation and read it and say, uh, and, and you'd be able to explain to mm -hmm. uh, anybody who was asking how important each of the variables were in arriving at an outcome. With a machine learning model, you could still print out the model equation, but you'd have to use a lot of paper and uh, arriving at an explanation, quantification of how important each variable was to the model uh, might be difficult without using a, a different approach. Uh, and so we've worked on that different approach, which is a set of applied mathematical techniques that allow us to analyze these systems of equations and combinations of various kinds of models to determine precisely how much weight uh, is given to each of the input variables. Uh, we're quite proud of our mathematical breakthrough, uh, but it has all these practical applications, uh, as we'll discuss, I'm sure. I'm guessing the idea would be to uh, identify when there may have been a, um, a flaw in the decision made and, and sort of tweak it or merely just to understand, okay, well, this is how they arrived at the decision they made? Both, right? So um, in order for AI to really be successful, you have to trust what it's saying, right? And, and in order to trust uh, what it's saying, you have to understand why it thinks it, it's saying that. In our experience talking with lots of different users of AI models, they're facing this issue, which is that they want to give advice to people about, you know, which sales prospect they should call or which consumer they should prospect more aggressively. Mm -hmm. But the salespeople aren't going to listen to that advice unless you tell them why, because they'll think that they know better. Uh, and so really, in order for predictive models to be successful, they need to come with explanations. I was going to say the first kind of great application for this that, that you guys arrived at was in um, the credit area. And one of the realizations was that you know, the traditional model for assessing credit worthiness was, was really flawed and that there were a lot of people who were per perfectly good kind of risks, but who looked terrible based on traditional credit 
monitoring and credit rating. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it occurred to us that you should be able to paint a clearer picture of the consumer's credit risks than could be represented in a handful of attributes that is traditionally used to assess the consumer. There are many more data points available today than there were when the original credit scoring models were introduced in the 70s and 80s. Uh, and so the fact that that data isn't being taken advantage of in the credit scoring system today seems like a missed opportunity from a number of different angles. From the lender's perspective, there are, they could be making more profits by offering more loans to people who are going to pay back. Mm -hmm. From the consumer's perspective, they should have access to things like a car and a home that they don't have access to because all the data about them isn't being considered in that decision. And then from a societal perspective, the data points that are traditionally used uh, in credit decisioning can sometimes lock people out that might be more deserving, uh, in particular minorities and, and other un underrepresented groups. And so by using more data and allowing uh, more advanced mathematics to make those predictions, you're able to both drive increased profitability expand and, and responsible expansion of credit products, but also be more inclusive. This being a security podcast, one of the other uh, applications was in detecting fraud and in particular synthetic identity fraud. Could you talk a little bit about what that is? Many folks are familiar with other kinds of fraud, like uh, if there's an identity theft and someone applies for a, a loan under your identity, you probably get a notice and uh, and then you have to you kind of have to fix it. Or, you know, when someone uses your card to purchase something that you didn't authorize. But there's a new kind of fraud, synthetic identity fraud, which is a little bit different. So what happens is uh, these criminals will apply for a product that requires a credit check online and they'll create a fake identity with the credit bureaus. So uh, even if they're denied in that first application, they've now created a record at the bureaus that then they can continue to enhance through uh, fake activity. And they uh, create a picture of this fake person who has a really great credit record. Uh, and the, these identities are uh, sometimes they created over the course of uh, 10 or 15 years. Uh, so there's enough credit history in there to get approved for a pretty sizable loan. And then they will apply for something like an installment loan over the internet where they don't have any have to show any collateral and or then there's uh, uh, there are fewer documentation requirements. And they'll essentially they'll take that the money and run. They'll disappear within within weeks of getting the, the loan and never pay a dime of it back. It's like a cash out. Yeah. And so many of our clients, when we go talk to them about losses from uh, their credit products, say that they're just getting hit uh, over and over again by these uh, synthetic identity fraudsters. Um, and, and part of that is uh, driven by this transition to online banking and uh, being able to do these transactions without having to interact with the person. And while there has been advances in terms of detecting and flagging this synthetic identity fraud, in particular, there are companies that develop fraud scores that can serve as a, an early indicator or a warning that the person that you're that's applying isn't a real person. Uh, those aren't effective because the models can't explain why. And so the banks are left to trying to judge for themselves, and uh, they're not so good of a judge. Talk a little bit about just how Zest built this synthetic fraud model and kind of what goes into it. We were working with a large lender, and they had a, a particular product where 
they had uh, struggled with losses uh, increasing. So the, the loss rate had increased about 50% over the course of a year. And um, they went through all of the uh, accounts that went bad on a manual basis. They literally reviewed them all and determined that around 45% of the losses were due to synthetic identity fraud. So this was top of mind for this lender. And they worked with us uh, to define a performance window, sort of a period of time after the application where most of this fraud was occurring where they saw the losses. And so we were able to apply our approach to develop explainable credit risk models to this shorter time period. And so the same, essentially the same model that was used to underwrite the loans that had a longer term ability to repay target was used under a shorter time window to identify the intent to repay. Because it used all the same credit variables that were used in underwriting, that explainable AI model was able to be made compliant with the Fair Credit Reporting Act. So it could provide accurate turndown reasons, uh, it could explain to consumers why they were being denied, and that enabled the lender to uh, sort of uh, nip the problem in the bud uh, at origination. As soon as someone applied, if they were uh, not, uh, if the model said you're unlikely to uh, repay, that you're probably going to run off with the money in the first six months, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, we should just deny you. And here are the denial reasons. And so those folks uh, couldn't get a loan anymore. And uh, that's how we came about it. And you said this is a this is a really broad problem. It's not just in in credit. I mean, is it our understanding that this is a fairly recent phenomena, or has this perhaps been going on for years, but we just lack the tools to be able to detect it? I think it has been going on for some time. I think what's uh, different now is that as banks have moved their lending applications and their products online, uh, they they've essentially created a very convenient way to exercise these synthetic identities and to also create them. And so as more of these products are moving online, the fraudsters uh, from wherever they are can apply for them and they can, and those who have inadequate defenses are falling victim. And is there a lot of similarity between synthetic fraud in, in its particular instances, uh, or is it pretty fuzzy in the, the combinations of behaviors and patterns that that might make up synthetic fraud? I think what's common among most synthetic identities um, is that they take the money and run. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, there's that, but there's also that they create the appearance of a good credit history. And so there's this common, it, it's sort of like credit history is too big, too good to be true is, is sort of the common theme. The benefit of using advanced analytics is that um, you can you can essentially uh, just point it at this problem and it will figure out what are the combinations of attributes that lead to uh, a prediction, a high likelihood uh, that it is synthetic identity fraud because you have the behavioral data, you have the actual outcomes of these people running away with the money. Uh, and so you can use the analytics to determine those combinations of factors for each specific business and, its, and, and lending lines. But there is an opportunity to generalize this across multiple institutions and multiple lending products. So uh, this gets back to the sort of provable AI question again. What you guys, what Zest AI offers is a way to not only say this seems to be a suspicious application, but also here's why. Is that right? That's exactly right. 
And is this, is it sort of a, a rhetorical argument? Is it an argument or is it merely kind of a, you know, here, here's the data that you should be paying attention to? Here are the metrics that caused us to reach this final conclusion. Yeah, that's a great question. So, and, and the answer is it's both. So we start off by assessing the uh, importance of each of the variables in determining the outcome, right? So if we say that someone is uh, uh, at a high likelihood of running away with the money, uh, then what we'll say is, well, we think that because they have all these other credit products that are underutilized, for example, or $100,000 in uh, credit card uh, limits across multiple cards. And those products have a lower interest rate than the one that they're applying for. So why do they need more? Uh, so we'll, we'll provide a readout that is the precise quantification of how each of the variables is contributing to that decision. These models, the AI models could have hundreds or even thousands of variables in them. So that's not a very friendly report to give to an underwriter or to a consumer to, to explain to them why. And so what we do is we map those into broader categories and then provide uh, natural language explanations in the form of a denial letter that uh, folks in the industry call an adverse action letter that uh, notifies the consumer why they were denied. And that functionality, just that, being able to explain to the consumer why they were denied, allows the financial institutions to avoid a whole series of manual and time-consuming processes that, that actually end up being relatively ineffective. Because most fraud models can't explain why they think that the applicant is a fraudster, the banks can't actually use them to deny them a loan. Under the, uh, the laws in the United States, there's a, there's a law called uh, the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, Reg B, which uh, requires that banks provide accurate denial reasons if they're going to deny a consumer. And so it's not sufficient to just say, well, you, you know, your application looks fish, fishy, so you're being denied. You have to actually give them a legitimate reason for why they're being denied. Or our algorithm didn't like you, so you're being Right, denied. exactly. That would be illegal, right? Uh, and so right. what happens is that that's what the fraud products out there today do. They say, this looks like a high likelihood of fraud. Put your humans on it. Yeah, put your humans on it. Exactly. So they get routed to a call center where you know an analyst has to review their application. They look at their credit report and they say, wow, um, this looks like a really pristine consumer. They've got a high FICO score. They've been in the system for 10 years. Uh, they always pay back their loans. Look, they have all these products from all these other people. Um, they're a great risk. And so they just, uh, yeah. they say, well, that AI, it must not have, uh, it must not know what it's talking about. It's that, uh, that yeah. new math, False positive, um, right. so I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust, trust my own judgment and, uh, approve these guys. And so the fraudsters get the loan and run away with the money. What do we know about this synthetic identity fraud and kind of the the root causes of it, Jay? Is this yet another byproduct of the epidemic of data breaches and, and just the troves of leaked and stolen data that are out there that you can kind of assemble into new synthetic identities or is something else behind this? Those breaches obviously result in opportunities for criminals to go assume people's identity and to go take out loans in someone else's name. What's happening here with synthetic identity is that they're actually creating whole new records at the credit bureaus. And they've D discovered ways of gaming the credit infrastructure here uh, in the United States. And, and they're willing to play a very long game to create these uh, synthetic identities that uh, then they use to their benefit later in time. And so it really is a new kind of uh, phenomenon. 
where the fraudsters will create this identity by first applying for a very small you know, product. And then they get an entry at the Bureau of a Consumer Record. They then will apply for a different uh, product and they'll pay it, pay it off uh, and they'll create the appearance of a responsible consumer. And then three, four, five years later, sometimes 10, they'll apply for something even larger and then they'll take off. So it's a different kind of uh, identity fraud than we've seen in the past, but the banks who have a significant online presence are being hit with it in a pretty major way. And they just haven't been able to crack the code on solving it. I mean, one of the interesting issues that this raises, right, uh, is sort of this notion of explainable AI is this idea that artificial intelligence, machine learning are, are going to be assistive to humans rather than replace them, right? So they'll make us smarter and better and more efficient as opposed to just making us dumber and more reliant on them. Do you guys see evidence of that, of, of this sort of interplay between the employees and the artificial intelligence in ways that is actually making employees better, smarter, more effective? Absolutely. You know, I'll just say, you know, we build a lot of credit risk models here. And along the way, it's really helpful to understand which variables are contributing the most to the model's performance. You know, it applies for marketing models, credit models, collections models, uh, any type of predictive model, really. You want to know what, where the juice is coming from so you can go get more juice or so you can go get more complementary data that's going to help you improve your results. And without a readout that says, here's what matters to the yeah. model, it's really difficult to get a sense for what to go do next. Uh, you want to be able to understand uh, where that power is coming from so you can go get more of it. Likewise, when the model makes a, a weird decision when you're reviewing its output, it's really helpful to be able to understand why uh, so that you can go debug what's going on. And then likewise, when you know it comes time to defend the model in front of a risk manager or a, a regulator, you just can't answer the questions if you don't understand how that model works. And so there are whole areas of application that are just off limits to AI right now because explainable machine learning hasn't made it into the mainstream. And, and we're working uh, vigorously to change that. So you changed the name to Zest AI. Talk about some of the other applications that uh, we're going to see your organization um, pursuing in the months and years ahead. There's a clear case for explainable AI in marketing and collections and, and for us to deepen our uh, work within credit. So, you know, if you think about someone applying for a loan, generally they've been solicited via a piece of direct mail. The lender wants to know why they should spend millions of dollars on the people that they're sending those pieces of mail to. Likewise, then when they come to apply, uh, there's an application to screen out synthetic identity fraud, to look at their credit quality, their ability to repay, but and their intent to repay. Uh, and then once they're in the product, you have to manage your institutional risk, look at how much cash you should be reserving on your balance sheet uh, based on changing conditions of the market. And then if the loan goes bad, whether or not you should collect them. And then all of this has to be done in a fair and responsible way. And so it's important to understand why each model is making a decision. And if there is a, a different approval rate or different pricing assigned based on the pr uh, protected class membership status and their race and ethnicity and gender, if there are differences there, you want to be able to understand if those differences are justified. So you'll see us continue to mm -hmm. deepen 
our work in the credit products more broadly. Uh, but then across various verticals, if you think of uh, adjacent markets like insurance that could use uh, the same type of techniques. And then in, in other areas where, you know, like, for, for example, portfolio analysis, financial portfolio analysis that could be enhanced with explanations. It's, it's, it's a lot easier to part with a lot of money if you feel good about why you're doing it. Maybe you can apply it to online dating. There you go. You are not who you say you are. You're too good to be true. <laughs> Jay, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us on Security Ledger. Of course. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. Jay Budzik is the Chief Technology Officer at the firm Zest AI. He was here to talk to us about explainable AI and spotting synthetic identity fraud.